Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Vanguard. Does today feel like time change to you? Just getting used to the sun coming up, blaring you in the face at a different time. I want to encourage you today as we come to the end of March, it'll be the middle of our fiscal year. And let me encourage you as Vanguardians, if you call Vanguard your church home, help us to end this first half of the year strong uh, and give to Vanguard before March 31st. Today, we're beginning in Ezekiel chapter 33. We're going to camp out there today. Every one of us have a tendency, if you're like me, my heart tends to wander. And as the song says, it tends to leave the God I love. And it slips away and begins to drift in different directions, and if left unchecked, I can find myself in some pretty precarious situations. Well, the nation of Israel had left themselves unchecked, and they had found themselves in the midst of a season in their life where they were saying to God, we got this, and God loves us enough And hear me on this. God loves us enough that he won't leave us alone. Amen? Amen. He comes after us. He comes after us to find where we've drifted and where we've lost sight. And he even sends watchmen, or watch ladies for that matter, to come to us and to say, come back, come back come back. And so today, we're going to see in this passage in Ezekiel 33, we're going to see how God raises up Ezekiel as a watchman and how God calls each of us to be watchmen. I can remember in 1989, as a 17-year-old, my mom coming to me and putting her hand into my hand and looking up into my face and saying, I'm praying for you. And I remember thinking to myself in that season of my life, I've given God my best. God, where's your best? Every one of us have these moments in our lives. If we're not careful, we want to take up a reproach against the God who created us. And the nation of Israel wants to take up a reproach against the God who created them. Every one of us needs somebody to remind us to come back to God, and maybe we need to be reminded in this season of our lives, come back. Maybe you're watching online today, and maybe you're drifting away. Maybe you're growing cold. Maybe you're growing lukewarm to the things of God, and I want to challenge you today, come back. I want to invite you today to take your program, your Bible, or your internet device, I want to invite you to share the service today, and we're going to talk today about warning the wayward. 
warning the wayward. And we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about the difference between warning somebody and condemning somebody. Warning somebody is never done in condemnation. If you enjoy disciplining your children, there's something wrong with you. If you don't discipline your children, there's something wrong with you. See, God has called us as moms and dads to love our children, tall order, like God loves us. And we have that same responsibility in the body of Christ to say we love each other and that we're going to hold one another accountable and we're going to be watchmen into each other's lives. Everybody wants to be seen until they don't want to be. Amen? Come on, amen? I want to be seen until I don't want to be seen. And that is the moment, hear me on this, when you don't want to be seen by others, that's when you need to be seen by them the most. That is when you need to say, I don't want to do this, but God, I need to be seen. Ezekiel chapter 33, we begin in verse 1 today, and we're going to answer this question. How can we be godly watchmen for God's wandering sheep, for God's wandering people? Look at Ezekiel 33.1. So once again, a message came to me. From the Lord. Son of man, give your people this message, okay? When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. So this is a good thing, by the way. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it is their own fault if they die. Now, they heard the alarm, but they ignored it. Do you ever do that in the morning? You, you snooze, 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 right? They heard it. They ignored it. They did not want to take responsibility if they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming, this is very important. If the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their captivity. They'll die in their sins. But catch what God says to us. But I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. I, God, will hold them responsible. So how can we be watchmen for God's wayward people? Number one, warn others of the wayward consequence. Warn others of the wayward consequence. Now, any time you confront somebody privately or publicly, inevitably, you're going to hear this. 
Ye, because they always quote in the King James, ye without sin cast the first stone. So that would be nobody, right? So they quote John 8, woman caught in adultery. And so what we're going to do today is I'm going to show you the difference between warning and condemnation. You say, what's the difference? One word, hypocrisy. Don't warn people in a way you don't want to be warned yourself. That is the biblical principle. The difference between warning and condemnation is hypocrisy. And in John 8, the Bible says that we caught this woman, Jesus, in the very act of adultery. And Jesus could have easily said, which he didn't because he's a gentleman, Jesus could have easily said, okay, which one of you was sleeping with her when you caught her? Or where's the man? Why didn't you bring him? Well, they did. He was among them. And more than likely, what Jesus was saying to the, the people that came to him was, you all have been with her, you know that, and you're using her to make a point when you need to be honest about the fact that you can't throw any stones at her because you yourself are participating in the same things. And then he says, when they all walk away, drop their stones and walk away, where are your accusers? She said, I have none. And he said, neither do I accuse you or condemn you. Go and sin no more. So Jesus did not condemn her, but what did he do? He warned her, don't live like this. Don't live like this. You don't want to live like this. You don't want to be that person. You don't want to bring these things on yourself. And what's interesting in these passages is John 8, and then quickly people go to another passage, and let's look at it because I think it's even more important to this discussion. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge others. Oh, okay, but let's don't stop there. Let's keep going. And you'll not be judged. For you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. That's, that's the measuring stick here. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Somebody tell me what the next word is. Hypocrite. Hypocrite. There it is. The difference between warning and condemning is hypocrisy. Don't bring on other people what you're not ready to receive yourself. That's the biblical principle. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then, then you will see well enough to what? To deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Both of these passages in John 8 and in Matthew 7 are not about warning people. These are not passages of Scripture that contradict Ezekiel 33. These are passages that support us to be watchmen who care about people and love people enough to warn them. It's not about, excuse me, it's not about condemning people because that's what hypocrisy is about. Let me publicly say something about you 
that's true of me privately, but I want to use this as a weapon to destroy you. Your motivation, and Evie, your, your, uh, what you're wearing this morning, uh, speak with love, your shirt. Every one of us, when we speak something to someone else, have to be motivated by love. Now, what is love? Love is doing what another person needs from God for their good. That doesn't mean that sometimes you don't have to tell them something they don't want to hear. As a father of five children, if I practice the principle of, I don't want to say anything that they don't want to hear, there'd be a lot I couldn't say to my kids. There'd be a lot that I would have to draw back. The question is not, what do you say to someone? The question is, what is your motivation for saying that to them? Are you wanting to say something to somebody so that they can prosper, so that they can benefit, so that they can receive the blessing that God has for their life? And so it's really important in this world that we live in, there's great temptation to be a hypocritical, judgmental Christian. And, we, and we, we live in a society that says, I don't want to be that, so here's what I'll be. I'll be a Christian that never tells anybody the truth. That's a Christian that doesn't love anybody either. Overcompensating because we don't want to be perceived as hypocritical doesn't solve our problem. See, when we come into the body, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ asks us, to hold one another accountable, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We have a responsibility to that in our homes. We have a responsibility of that in our churches. A lot of times we don't want to warn. I really do believe this. A lot of times we don't want to warn people because we don't want to be warned ourselves. It's like, you know, I love you. It's the Barney song, right? I love you. You love me. We're a big happy family. So let's don't go there. Let's don't dig into that. But see, if you truly love each other, you have to tell each other the truth. You have to be honest with each other. You have to take risk with each other and you have to press into one another and you have to say the things that you may not want to say. So here's my question to you. This is the fundamental question of this message. Do you practice being a watchman for those God has entrusted to you? I want you to think about that statement. Do you actively practice the process of being a watchman for those that God has entrusted to you. I will never forget as a young married man with no children, Tasha and I went over to this couple's house that had kids. And I've told this story to him numerous times. He does not remember it, okay? But this is a longtime friend that, that I met in the uh, radio industry when we started Vanguard and we advertised with them. And I remember being seated at his dining room table, and we were having dinner together, and we were talking. 
And all of a sudden, there was something that came up with his children, and one of them came to the table. And he said, excuse me, just a second. And he went and he took care of it. Later that night, he said to me, hey, I just want you to know, I know you don't have children, but I want you to know something. When my children are around, I am always a father first. Amen? Dads, amen? Come on, men, amen? I hope it's amen. You're always a father first. Well, I don't want to be bothered with them, right? I'm just, no, no, no. You don't understand. You're always a father first. And you have a responsibility as a dad to carry the weight of being the watchman of your home. And you have the responsibility of getting on your knees before God Almighty and crying out to God for your family. You know what it means to be the spiritual leader of your home? You're the head servant on your knees first. Loving, praying, seeking the good of the children that God has entrusted to you. Take that, men, if you're fathers, take that calling seriously. Seriously. Watch over your children's souls. Cry out to God on behalf of your children. God gave you the kids he gave you because he wanted you to be a watchman for them. You go, yeah, but they don't want me to, and I want them to like me, and I want to be good buddies with them. Well, good luck with that, and I don't believe in luck. Be a watchman, men. Stand up for your family. Fight for your family. Stand in the gap through prayer for your family. Love well. And when I say fight, I don't mean be rude. I don't mean lift up your fist. I mean lift up your voice in prayer for your family and for the generations that are going to come from your family. Be praying for them. Be covering them. Look at verse 7. Now, son of man, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you uh, fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins. But I'm going to hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they'll die in their sins, but you have saved yourself. So principle number two, no, your warning may not save them, but it'll save you. Know that your warning may not save them. They still have to make a choice, but it will save you. Sometimes God will bring you in contact with other people who will not listen to what you have to say because God wants to show you where you're headed if you don't turn back to. And sometimes when God brings you in proximity to people that you're in relationship with, instead of judging them because they don't listen, Say to God, God, help me not become that person that doesn't listen because if I don't listen, I'm going to end up going down that same path in my life. The watchman's message, look at verse 10. Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. You're saying our sins are heavy upon us. We're wasting away. How can we survive? As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I want to stop there just a second. 
God takes no pleasure in the death of wicked people. He's never happy when wicked people get what they deserve. Never happy. That is not the heart of God. God wants people, turn back, turn back, turn back. Before it's too late, turn back. There is incredible mercy that God has for the wicked. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. See, that's what our motivation has to be. Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? Do you understand that sin, our sin, eventually leads to our literal death? Do you understand that? That sin unchecked, and yes, universal sin ultimately leads to all people's death. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that there is literally sin that leads us down paths that eventually takes our lives. Very sad. Turn from it. That's not God's preference for us. Principle number three, challenge them to turn from their sin and live. Turn from your sin and live. Do you want to know how much you love a person? Warn them. Have them ignore you. And see how you feel. Amen? We can all run around with platitudes of how amazing everybody is. That's great. And let's build each other up. Let's inspire each other. Let's leave a legacy of encouragement. Amen? But if you really want to know the depth of your love for someone, tell them what they need to hear. Have them absolutely ignore you even look for ways to scorn you and shame you. Then you'll find out how much you love them. You say, well, what will happen? Well, one of two things will happen. You'll give up. You'll give in. You'll join them because you want to be in a relationship with them. Or you'll get angry and go, God, give them what they deserve. Well, I'm not going to pray for them anymore. Well, I'm not going to stand in the gap for them anymore. Well, how dare them say, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. The most sacred thing you can do is stand in the intercessory gap for someone who has scorned you because you warned them to turn back. That's a powerful moment. That's a powerful moment. That's when you begin to understand your love. Look at what Jesus says that he wants for us. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. One of the most angry things you can say to an unrepentant Christian is, don't you want what God has for you? Oh, it fires them up. How dare you? How dare me? I'm just asking, don't you want what God has? How dare you? And I watch, I watch the sheep of God grow fangs. And this is some of the hardest work of being a pastor, is where you step into people's lives 
who have walked away from the Lord and you warn them, brother, sister, come back. Come back. Come back. Come back. What? Come back to what? And there's all kinds of ways that people try to shame you, scorn you, and shut you up. I just want you to know, as long as I'm the pastor of this church, I won't shut up. I won't shut up. I won't stop loving the sheep that God has entrusted to me as a father in my own home and as a father in his home here. This is the calling of a shepherd. Men, listen to me. And I'm not trying to pick on men, but listen to me, men. If we would do our jobs as spiritual leaders, the majority of the problems in this world would go away. If we would have the courage to actually be the men that God has created us to be, Yes, we've got to look at our clay feet. We've got to look at the brokenness of our lives. We've got to be honest about all the shortcomings of our existence. But listen, men, God has made you a watchman in your home. He has made you a watchman over small groups. He's made you a watchman over these other men's lives, over these people that you're building relationship with. As we engage one another, love people enough to engage them. And to say things in love that they need to hear. Verse 12, son of man, give your people this message. The righteous behavior of righteous people will save them. If they turn from their sin. Excuse me, I'm sorry. The righteous behavior of righteous people will not save them if they, uh, if they turn to sin. Nor will the wicked behavior of the wicked people destroy them if they repent and turn from their sins. When I tell righteous people that they will live, but then they sin, expecting their post-righteousness, past righteousness to save them, then none of their righteous acts will be remembered. I'll destroy them for their sins. And I suppose I tell some wicked people that they will surely die, but then they turn from their sins and do what is just and right. For instance, they might give back a debtor's security, return what they've stolen, obey my life-giving laws, no longer doing what is evil. If they do this, then they'll surely live and not die. None of their past sins will be brought up again, for they've done what is just and right, and they'll surely live. Your people are saying, the Lord isn't doing what's right. They're taking a reproach, see this? But it's they who are not doing what's right. For again, I say, when righteous people turn away from their righteous behavior and turn to evil, they'll die. But if wicked people turn from their wickedness and do what is just and right, they'll live. Oh, people of Israel, are you saying the Lord isn't doing what's right? But I judge each of you according to your deeds. See, you know what sin does to you and I? It causes us to take up a reproach against a righteous God. And see, when I was 17, I was taking up a reproach because of the sin in my own life. I was taking up a reproach against God because I thought God owed me something. I thought he owed me something. And there are so many people that walk away from God because they think that God didn't give them what they deserve. But I'm so thankful he didn't give me what I deserve. I'm so thankful that he withheld from me what I deserve. 
And so there is a deep need in all of us to come to terms with the areas of our lives where we're tempted to take up a reproach against a righteous God because we think our actions alone make us righteous. And it does not matter. And this is what's interesting about faith. I say to someone that's older that doesn't go to church anymore, and by the way, there's plenty of them. I have a whole neighborhood of them. They're good people. They don't go to church anymore. They have no time for it. They don't need it. You go, why? Can you tell me why? Can you tell me why you no longer assemble with God's people? Well, I don't need that. I'm, I'm better off without them. I've done my job. I've paid my dues. I've raised my kids. Whatever the, whatever the response is, listen to me. Faith is active and alive. It's not about what you've done for God. It's about what you're doing for God. And what you've done for God is not, and this is what he's saying in the passage, sufficient for you to do whatever you want now. God calls us to be active. And this is one of my favorite songs that we used to sing as a kid. We sang out of the Heavenly Highway hymns. We'll work till when, John? Till Jesus comes. And then what will happen? And then he'll gather us home. Can you imagine getting to heaven and God says, hey, tell me about your life. Well, 17 years ago, I served you faithfully. And I would like for you to forget about the past 17 years, if you could. And remember the 12 years that I taught Sunday school, that I tithed, that I, you know, shared my faith. Listen, God wants us to continue to build the life that he's called us to live and to build it for him. And there is great temptation on the road of life to go, I think I'll exit this way, and I think I'll exit this way, and I think I'll exit this way, and I think I'll exit this way. I want to encourage you, stay faithful, stay steady, stay focused, and be who God has called you to be in the community and in the home and in the church he's called you to. Now look at Galatians 2.20. I want you to see the difference between... and, and Paul could have been a very self-righteous person, but listen to what he says. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Righteousness is appropriated when we stop living for ourselves and we allow Christ to live through us. And to allow Christ to live through us, we have to say to Christ, my life is yours. It's yours. My life's yours. My life's yours. What do you want to do with this day, Lord? What do you want to do with this week, Lord? What do you want to do with this year, Lord? What do you want to do with my life? What do you want me to do with my life? Am I honoring you with my life? Is this honoring to you? Is it, is it pleasing to you? How does this occur? Paul tells us, look at Romans 6, 12. Don't let sin control the way you live. 
Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. But sadly, Israel wouldn't turn back. They wouldn't listen to these words. And and my question to you is, where in your life are you giving up ground to the enemy? Where in your life are you giving up ground to the enemy? You're slowly becoming lukewarm. Look at verse 21. On January the 8th, during the 12th year of our captivity, a survivor from Jerusalem came to me, and here's what he said. This city has fallen. The previous evening, the Lord had taken hold of me and given me back my voice, so I was able to speak when this man arrived the next morning. Watchman, there's a time to speak, and then there's a time to what? Be quiet. One of the most painful things about being a pastor, one of the most painful things about being a watchman, one of the most painful things about being a father is watching those that you're responsible for destroy themselves. And you have to be really careful that your warnings don't come to a point to where your anger takes over and you begin to be misused in this particular area of your life. The longer that you have warned a person, the softer your heart has to become toward that person. Amen? This is really important. The longer the time passes that you have warned a person, the softer your heart has to become toward that person. You say, how do I do that? Here's how you do it. Lord, increase your heart for them in me. Amen? Very important prayer. And this is one of those prayers that you're not going to get a parade thrown for you, okay? Lord, increase your heart in me for them, for them, for them. Principle number four, speak, then be silent until he asks you to speak again. Speak and then be silent. Until he asks you to speak again. Do you know what's hard to speak? Do you know what's hard after you speak? Shut up. Amen? This is difficult stuff. This is very difficult stuff. Verse 23. Then this message came to me from the Lord, Son of Man, the scattered remnant of Israel living among the ruined cities keeps saying, Abraham was only one man, yet he gained possession of the entire land. We are many. Surely the land has been given to us as a possession. 
So tell these people, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You eat meat with blood and you worship idols. You murder the innocent. You do really think the land should be yours? Murderers, idolaters, adulterers, should the land belong to you? Do you know what they're saying? God owes me something. I mean, if Abraham, one man's going to get it all. I mean, think about us. We have so much success. What's God going to give us? Verse 27, say to them, This is what the Lord says. As surely as I live, those living in the ruins will die by the sword. I'm going to send wild animals to eat those living in the open fields. Those hiding in forts and caves will die of disease. I'm going to completely destroy the land and demolish her pride. Her arrogant power will come to an end. The mountains of Israel will be desolate that no one will even travel through them. And when I have completely destroyed the land because of their detestable sins, then they'll know that I'm the Lord. I'm currently reading a book uh, called uh, The Discerner. And what the author says, good book, I'm not done with this, so I can't recommend it yet. But what the author says is, unconfessed sin for a believer destroys our ability to discern. Unconfessed sin for a believer, destroys our ability to discern. Let me illustrate. Well, do you think the two of us should get married? Well, let me ask you a question. Are you having sex? Uh, Yes. There's no way to know. There's no way to know what God's will is specifically for you when you don't practice God's general will that Scripture says that it is God's will that we avoid sexual immorality. So see, when we engage in sin and we want to ask God, God, I need you to specifically tell me. Well, God's going to say, let's start with what I've already generally told you. Are you doing what I've generally told you? Well, I'm trying to. Forgive me here, Lord. I'm growing in this area. Lord, I confess this. Okay. Now, can you talk to me? Can you give me discernment in the specific will of my life? And see, what some of us don't understand, we're so frustrated with God because we can't figure out the specifics of our lives, but we refuse to abide by the general revelation that he's already given us. And until we come back and confess that we have forsaken God's general revelation, there is no hope of us discerning God's specific will. Does that make sense? And so we have to come back. We have to come back. Son of man, your people talk about you in their houses and they whisper about you at the doors. Oh, yes, they do. They say to each other, come on, let's go hear the prophet tell us what the Lord is saying. So my people come pretending to be sincere. And they said before you, they listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Their mouths are full of lustful words and their heart seeks only after money. You're very entertaining to them like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. But when all these terrible things happen to them, as they certainly will, then they'll know a prophet has been among them. Wow, those are powerful words, aren't they? So how can we be God's watchman? Number five, our very words and presence declares God's presence among them. Our very words 
and presence. Declare God's presence among them. What is so powerful about warning people is not that you get the pleasure of warning them. You ready? What's so powerful about warning people is that they get the pleasure of God's presence through you still in their life. That's who you are. That's who you are. And the enemy wants to discourage you to not be a watchman. Because if the enemy can get you to stop being a watchman of other people's lives, then he can remove all evidence of God's presence. And he can invite them into the destructive path that he's luring them down. Don't give up. Don't give up on them. Be a watchman. You say, what if they don't listen? That's their business. That's their choice. And just because people don't listen, and I learned this the hard way, just because people don't listen to the warning doesn't mean you failed. Amen? They get to choose. And don't ever take away their choice. Give them opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's nothing more serious than the souls of other people's lives that you've entrusted to us. And when we look at their lives, would you give us eyes to see them like you see them? And give us hearts for them like the heart you have for them. And over time, Lord, would you soften our hearts? Would you make us more palpable to your presence? And every time we go to warn them, every time we go to warn them, may we go with a greater measure of your presence in control of us. And may more of you be manifested into them. Lord, may we not take it personal, though we do, but may we remember, Lord, that it is your presence that we bring to people, both those who have believed and those who've not yet believed. And Lord, we represent our Savior, Jesus. We have been put here as your watchman. Lord, speak to us today. Speak to us, God. Speak to us, Lord. Help us not 
allow these arguments to silence us and not to care for those you've entrusted to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.